Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone on the east coast of the United States and the central region. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Of course, I'm not going to forget those on the, on the west coast and also around the world uh, for those over 2 billion people that have access to PCs around the world. We're going to talk about uh, are we in the end times. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, we're in the end times, but I'm going to show you some biblical proof also outside of Bible, um, what I feel is common sense to to prove that we are uh, living in the end times. Uh, but first, uh, let's uh, check out some world news here, and I invite everyone who's listening to me for the first time or if you have been listening to me and you are not a free subscriber to my Merciful Servants of God newsletter, I invite you to be a subscriber. Simply go to www.mercifulservantsofgod.com. Again, it's www.mercifulservantsofgod.com, and kindly um, put your name and email address, and uh, you will receive another email, and just click that you accept to be put on the list, and uh, you will receive my monthly biblical instructional newsletter each and every month. Okay, let's check world news here. Um, there are some things going on right now uh, with this um, legislation, with uh, which I'm going to talk about, I hope, uh, a little bit more today, in reference to trying to take guns away and so forth. Um, I'm going to get into that. But first, let's find out what's going on in Jerusalem, because everything will start and end there. I'm going to www.watch.org. For those who have access to PCs, while you're listening to me, you can go with me if you want. Uh, this is the World Watch Daily website by Corning, K-O-E-N-I-G, International News. does an excellent job of keeping us up to date with what's going on in Jerusalem, the hottest spot in the world, no doubt. It says, Perez, Abdullah, discuss Israeli-Palestinian peace. That is the uh, first uh, article he has on the website here. I'm just going to read a summary of it. President Shimon Peres met with Jordanian King Abdullah II on Friday in Davos to discuss restarting peace talks between Israel and the Palestinians, Army Radio reported. Peres is in Switzerland to, uh, to promote Israel's economic and diplomatic interests at the World Economic Forum. Abdullah um, posited that Obama's position as a second-term president was a tremendous advantage. He added that in the next couple of months, 
Jordan would be marching toward Washington alongside his international partners in the peace process and saying, Mr. President, it's time to engage in the Palestinian-Israeli peace process. Another headline, it says, former Iranian official, Iran would definitely use nuclear weapon on Israel. Well, I think uh, <laughs> I think we all understand that that would happen, and uh, it's interesting to see. Uh, we know the possibility of it happening. It's, it's interesting to see, according to Bible prophecy, if we understand it correctly, if that's going to happen, if Iran will use a nuclear bomb, or try to anyway, against Israel. Another headline here, Egypt deploys troops in Suez after nine killed on anniversary of uprising. And then another headline, Obama presses liberal agenda as he starts second term. So he's, of course, won't be president again, even though I've heard some rumors that he's trying to see if he can run again. That would be interesting if that happened. But uh, if that doesn't happen, then this will be his last four years, and he doesn't really have to worry about trying to uh, run for re-election again, unless, of course, he's able to change that law, too. And <laughs> he's uh, getting full-blown liberal now. Uh, he's uh, pushing the gay agenda now, and he's doing a lot of other things now that he uh, would not have done prior to him being elected again. So let's keep an eye on that. So, uh, that's what's going on in the world in reference to Jerusalem and then over here nationally in the United States. Uh, let me check out the other website I usually go to here, um, the Financial Collapse. It's a good blog. I suggest anyone study this, but it's called The Economic Collapse. The Economic Collapse, and it's, uh, you type in theeconomiccollapseblog.com. And his uh, subheading here, he says, Are you prepared for the coming economic collapse and the next Great Depression? I know most people aren't uh, because most people live in the sand and they have their heads in the sand, basically. And until a hurricane comes their way or something happens to them, that's when they start to take God seriously, unfortunately. The purpose of this program up is to wake those type of individuals up <laughs> to reality. Uh, I hope I can do that, but we'll see. Um, in reference to calling in, if you want to call in, if you can do that like 10 minutes uh, before the end of the Bible study, I would appreciate it. And the, the number to call in, and please do it like 10 minutes before the end of the Bible study, is 347-945-7500. Uh, uh, 347-945-7500. That's okay. And it's a nice quote on this website, too. I'll read it. It says, says, most Americans seem to assume that we will always have endless prosperity just because of who we are. But unfortunately, that simply is not true. And <laughs> the Bible agrees with the gentleman. Anyway, a headline here on the website says, the U.S. has even a larger gap between the rich and the poor than downtown Abbey does. It says, there are two very different Americas today. And one, the stock market is soaring, high-end Homes are selling briskly. Big banks and hedge funds are rolling in money as if the last financial crisis never even happened. And life is really, really good. In the other America, good jobs are incredibly scarce, incomes are declining, and poverty is skyrocketing to levels that we have never seen before. The gap between the wealthy and the poor in America is getting wider with each passing day. Let me underscore that again. 
the gap between the wealthy and the poor in America is getting wider with each passing day. In fact, it is my contention that the U.S. has an even larger gap between the rich and the poor than Downtown Abbey does. If you have ever seen Downtown Abbey, you really should. It is one of the most extraordinary shows to appear on television in years. It is a drama set in the U.K. which follows the lives of the aristocratic Crowley family and their servants throughout the early part of the 20th century. It can be a bit jarring to watch servants wait on their master's hand and foot and refer to them by such titles as Lord and Lady, but the truth is that in many ways there is more inequality today than there was back then. And it's so true. As far as people living in the worst areas of cities such as Detroit and Cleveland are concerned, the uh, so- socialites that live on the Fifth Avenue in New York City on an, or in multi-million dollar homes out in the Hamptons might as well be from another planet. If you have lots of money, America is still a really great place to live. Now, that's, let me underscore that. If you have lots of money, <laughs> America still is a great, really great place to live. If you barely have any money, America could be really cold and cruel. Sadly, our politicians continue to pursue policies that make things even better for those working for the establishment in places such as Washington, D.C., and Manhattan, and worse for all the rest of us. This has especially been true over the course of the past four years. If nothing is done, let me underscore that again, if nothing is done, the gap, the gaping chasm, the gaping chasm between the rich and the poor will continue to get even worse. And in the end, they will have some really, in the end, that will really have some severe consequences for our society. So you can read the rest of the article if you want, um, but you know, because of lack of time here, I have to really get into the uh, the Bible study here. So, first of all, I want to clarify. I know I did a couple of programs about government, and I know people that know me, they know what I'm, they understand where I'm going with this, but for those who are listening to me for the first time or have listened to me for a few times and need to really clarify what I was stating, Um First, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Let's understand that there's nothing wrong with government if government is righteous. All right? So let's turn to Isaiah, and and please listen to what I'm saying here. If it's righteous. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, says, For unto us a child is born, reading in the King James Version, unto us a son is given, and the government, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, which I did a Bible study on last week. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And notice that he will be sitting on the throne of David. Right now he's sitting right next to the Father in heaven not on his own throne. So that's another Bible study in itself. But but the uh, interesting thing about this scripture says the increase that the government will expand. So government, according to the Bible, is, is not all bad. Um, but unfortunately, as this society has been prophesied to get worse and worse and worse, of course, our government is getting worse, and let's use the example of the United States, because they are a very good example. If we look at Isaiah chapter 1, 
and you're saying, are you talking about the United States? So how are you going to? Why are you going to Isaiah? Because the United States, ladies and gentlemen, is a part of what who the Bible calls Israel. Uh, the ten lost tribes. They are definitely a descendant of the ten lost tribes. For more proof of that, go to www.beasinboyritam.org. Uh, the word British. Brit means covenant. Ish means man in Hebrew. So. That may be of a, a shock to you, but it's true. Uh, go to the website again, www that I just mentioned, org for more information. So in verse 2 of Isaiah, it states this, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. So this message should be broadcast to the entire world. For the Lord has spoken. It's not canard, it's the Lord speaking. So pay attention. I have nourished brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So the first thing he's saying is that he's brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. They have not obeyed, which is a form of idolatry. Verse 3, the ox know of his owner, and he as his master's crib. Again, this message should be broadcast around the world. Okay? The ox knows his owner, and he as his master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. So he's telling us that Israel don't know who they are. And he wants the whole world to understand this. Verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. He calls Israel a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Verse 5. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head means the government, the authorities, is sick. And the whole heart faints. Verse 6, from the sole of the foot, even until the head, there is no soundness in it. But the wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointments. Mollified in the original Hebrew is softened with ointment, which, of course, is indication of trying to heal the wounds. Because of our pharmacies and medicine and radiation and chemo and all this other stuff. Not to say that God doesn't perform miracles for people who choose to do that. I've heard of people actually surviving radiation and chemotherapy. Praise the Lord for that. But it's not medicine. And we have been deceived into thinking that that is the best cure for our ailments when it comes to cancer. But anyway. That, among other things, is an example of where our society is today. And United States, the United States is the chief of the nations right now, according to what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 31. All right, we are the most powerful nation in the world. And we, we, we can be righteous, but boy, we can be wicked too. And in verse 6, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, is a prophecy of our leadership right now. 
Obama, and I respect his position because I'm commanded to do so, but I don't respect how he thinks about some things. And for him to 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 state that it's okay for two people to get married, that's an abominable thing. That's what the Bible's talking about. Uh, our, our leadership is sick right now. And so that means the government is sick. And the question is, should, should we obey a sick government? Well, only in the unsick things should, we should obey, as I'm going to explain here. As I'm going to explain. All right. Or the things that they're not reasoningly incorrectly about. So, First Peter chapter two. I quoted this scripture uh, in the program. I'm going to go to that. This scripture again. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse thirteen. It says, "Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, for the Lord's sake." Now. What this is saying here, of course, if there's an ordinance that's going to prevent you from worshiping God, if there's an ordinance, of course, that tells you to violate or do something against the Torah, of course, you don't obey it. So let me let me just put that disclaimer in there when you read this. All right, this is when you read this, this is under assumption that, of course, the ordinance of man is righteous in God's eyes. Okay, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be uh, to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. That's the same example in Romans chapter 13, which I hope to go to today, uh, because it's similar to what First Peter chapter 2, verse 14 is saying. Uh, verse 15, for this is the will of God. So your Bible says this is the will of God, folks, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty as a cloak for maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And then verse 17, honor all men, and that means honor all, honor all human beings. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor the king. And then it talks about an example of submitting to your masters, which kings are. Kings rule over us, so we should submit, should, should submit to them. But, of course, if they violate the Torah, then we're not commanded to submit to them. And I'm going to read other scriptures here to help you understand that, that we, we should obey the government when the government is righteous. Uh, Titus 3, verse 1, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to to uh, every good work. And then it states here in verse 2, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, so that means even our presidents uh, or, or rulers, we should be very careful about what we say. There's an example, of course, with Michael the Archangel saying that the Lord rebuked thee uh, against Satan. You know, So we, we should still speak. And then there's an example also with King David. Well, actually, he wasn't King David at this time, but King Saul and David. And David uh, was still respected, King Saul, even though King Saul was wicked toward him. Anyway, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And that word meekness in the original Greek is pra-ad-ace, uh, and is gentleness. Have humility. Okay. Now, to the much um, <laughs> debated or misunderstood Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 1 states this, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Of course, it's the assumption that those higher powers are not, uh, their laws are, are righteous. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Verse 2, 
whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the order that people have used is to say, well, you obey government even if they tell you to go kill your baby or they tell you to do some idiotic thing that you know uh, based on your common sense is wrong. No, this is saying if you resist the power of the government if the if the government is going by its righteous laws. That's what this is referring to. That's the way to properly interpret this. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they, because that tells you right there, if they're resisting the ordinance of God, obviously this power, their laws must be equivalent to the ordinance of God. Okay? And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. This is if, of course, you resist the righteous laws of a government, all right? Uh, verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Again, this is assuming that this government is righteous. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. Now, this is talking about our local uh, municipalities, uh, our uh, police. That is good. Just think if we didn't have police, <laughs> how would we be able to survive in our neighborhoods? So that's all good there. That's that's a good thing about government. For, for this scripture says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Uh, verse 4, for he or a policeman, or in some cases a military person, uh, is a servant of God to thee for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid. So if I go out here and blow somebody's brains out, yeah, I should be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, or today, the gun in vain. <laughs> For he is the servant of God, a revenger to, to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Verse 5, which justifies uh, bearing arms, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more today. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Verse 6, for this cause pay taxes also, and I'm going to get into that today, hopefully. For they are God's ministers or servants, attending continually upon this very thing. And that's that's a righteous reason to pay taxes, to pay for our policemen and firemen and and, and uh, hospitals, because hospitals do have, have some use. I'm talking about the public hospitals. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with paying taxes for those type of righteous institutions there. Uh, verse 7, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to taxes to whom there's taxes, custom to whose custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom there is honor due. And then, of course, we should not owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. So I hope that you understand Romans chapter 13 a little better. Now, let's get to the issue with taxes, because I know that's a big issue with a lot of people. <laughs> so um, let's turn to First Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8. All right. And I'm reading this in the King James Version. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And this is a prophecy. Remember, Samuel's a prophet. It's a prophetic book. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, he's a seer or a prophet. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 2. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel. Interesting. And the name of his second is Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. Verse 3. And his sons walked not in his ways, unfortunately, but turned aside after um, doing abominable things, plunder, and, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah. And so here we, we, we have the civil government of Israel at the time uh, not being righteous. 
All right. So verse five, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and they didn't they didn't want to obey his uh, sons because they were doing wickedness, and they perverted judgment. All right. Uh, verse five, and, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So this is an example. No, you do not obey unrighteous government. It's right there. For, for anyone to see, verse six. But the thing, dis, but the thing despised Samuel when he, they, they said, "Give us a king to judge us." And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Now, see, the Lord was was their king at this time, and he had judges that did his did did uh, that acted on his behalf. But see, they wanted a king, a human king, and God didn't like that, and He still doesn't like it to this day. Verse seven. And the Lord said unto Samuel, "Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee." For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And this is something to, to understand. If you have a, a prophet of God or a servant of God, teach or say, God, teach you God's words, or, or God spoke directly to Samuel here, still God's words, and people resist that. They're not, they're, they're not only are they rejecting Samuel, they're really rejecting the, per, the, the uh, person where the words came from, God himself. Verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I bought them out of Egypt, even to this day, where they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. And that's sad. Verse 9, now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So listen up, folks, this is prophecy. Verse 10, and Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. Please don't tell me this is the, this, this reminds you of the presidency <laughs> or any other government in the world. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, his military. And some shall run before his chariots, verse 12, and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be uh, confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take of your fields and your vineyards and your olive guards and the best and give them to a servant. So, you know, the president of the United States has the best. He has the best chefs. He has the best of everything, right? Verse 15, and he will take a tenth, here we go with the taxing now, of your seed and of your vineyards and get them to his office and to his service, and he will take your men's service and your maid service and your goodly, goodliest young men or your best men and your asses and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth, here we know there's another, some more taxes, of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. And verse 18 is so prophetic because so many people in this country are crying out right now about our unrighteous government. But our ancestors, ladies and gentlemen, chose a king and Yah or God tried to warn us through the prophet Samuel but we didn't want to listen we're a stubborn and stiff necked people verse 18 and you shall cry out in that day because of your king which you have chosen and the Lord will not hear you in that day and see that's that's unfortunate but uh and we're crying out because of Obama we've been crying out about other presidents all right and you know, God never, never intended us to have human kings over us. He wants to be our king. 
and then he's going to be the top king. Of course, there will be kings underneath him, but he desires to be our overall king. But they desire to have a human king, and he he doesn't like that as the one to go to. He wants us to go to him first. First uh, Samuel 8, verse 19, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us. We will have a king over us that we also may be like all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And God does not like that. He's a jealous God. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto them, the men of Israel, Go, ye every man to a city. And see, I'm just going to put something in here or... <laughs> A little synopsis of this passage. Be careful what you ask for. And let's go to let's go to another uh, scripture here to complete this story. First Samuel chapter twelve, verse twelve. First Samuel chapter twelve, verse twelve. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, and this is First Samuel twelve, verse twelve. You said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. He wants to be our ultimate king. There's no human king is the ultimate king. He's the ultimate king. And there may be kings or judges underneath him, but he wants us to work, look, depend on him as the ultimate king, not a human being. They wanted a human being to be the ultimate king, obviously, in this context. Verse 13, Now therefore, behold the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So he allowed it, even though he didn't like it. Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both you and also the king that reigns over you continue following the Lord your God. Verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your father. This is a prophecy, folks. This is a prophecy. This is the reason why we have... All kinds of problems here in this country and around the world because we don't want to obey the Torah. We don't want to obey the uh, instructions and the laws and doctrines of Yah or God. Verse 16, Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Verse 17, Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain that you may proceed and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord. So it's, it's, it's a miracle to, to cause rain to occur at, at, at the time of the wheat harvest. Okay, And so he wanted to prove to them that, that God was not pleased with their decision about having a human king. Anyway, First Samuel 12, verse 18, So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Verse 19, And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy service unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil, to ask us a king. Let me repeat again. For we have added unto all our sins this evil. To ask for a king is a wicked desire, folks, that just focus totally on human rulers and, and the human kings. They can't do a thing for you, ultimately. We have to focus on him. Yah, first. Human king, second. Uh, or judges. First Samuel 12, verse 20. And turn ye not aside, for then should you go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. 
So, and then verse 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Verse 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. That's what prophets are supposed to do. Verse 24, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he has done for you. Verse 25, But if you shall still do wickedly, you shall be consumed, both you and your king. And this is prophetic, folks. This is prophetic. We've got to be very careful about following any king that's not righteous. Only follow the things that he's righteous or, or follow the things that he, that, that he, of course, teaches that or leads that has a righteous focus. It's very important to do that. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah 18, verse 7 to 8. i got to speed it up here a little bit here. Jeremiah chapter 18. And this applies not just to Israel, but all nations. Jeremiah 18, verse 7. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it? Verse 8 of Jeremiah 18. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. So Israel is always the example, but they are light to the nations, and the nations also have to obey Torah. Okay, so that that's very important to understand that. Matthew chapter 17. In regards to taxes. So hopefully you understand why we're paying taxes, folks. <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible for clarity's sake here. Uh, it says, When they came to Kafar Nakam, the collectors of the half shekel came to Kepha and said, doesn't your rabbi pay the temple tax? So this is talking about temple tax. In verse 25, of course he does, says Kepha, or Peter. When he arrived home, Yeshua spoke first. Shimon, what's your opinion? Or Simon, the kings of the earth, from whom do they collect duties and taxes, from their sons or from others? And so he's making a point that he's a son of the father. Verse 26, from others, he answered, then said, Yeshua, the sons are exempt. But, here's the thing, and this is a friend of mine brought this out to me last night. He, he brought this to my attention. Uh, Matthew 17, verse 27, but to avoid offending them, go to the lake, throw out a line, and take the first fish you catch. Open his mouth, and you will find a shekel. Take it and give it to them for me and you. So, that's one reason why we, well, Getting back to First Samuel chapter 8, we pay taxes because we desire the king, our ancestors, and we're just paying the penalty. But another reason also is to avoid offending. And we should always try to avoid offending people, so we should pay tax because of that. Now, in um, let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 18. And this is just following the principle of, if it's possible, be at peace with all people. And Romans 12, verse 18, in the complete Jewish Bible version, if possible, and to the extent that it depends on you, live in peace with all people. Instead of fighting about paying income tax, like some people have done it to the point of being in jail, just go ahead and pay the tax, and don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> uh, especially when you understand that because of what our ancestors desired, we're just paying the penalty anyway. He warned us that a leader would overtax us. 
And so we're getting what we deserve anyway. Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 15, in the King James Version. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Verse 16, and they sent out unto him their disciples with the Heredians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teach the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for you regardest not the person of men. And that's important when you, and this is the whole point, we should not regard the persons of men. We should have the same attitude that Yeshua had. Uh, we shouldn't be impressed by being all by uh, human rulers. They're just men. Verse 17, Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute or tax unto Caesar or not? And, of course, Rome was the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Verse 18, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you tempt me, you, hypocr uh, tempt me, you hypocrites? Verse 19, show me the tribute money or the tax money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Who, Whose is this image and uh, superscription? Verse 21, and they said unto them, Caesar's. Then he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. And this is a plain teaching from our Messiah. He stated that, hey, pay the, pay the taxes but also pay tithe to God uh, for his servants and also for, for the widows and for other charitable um, reasons. Okay, now what are some examples of good things about the government? Well, traffic lights, stop signs. If we didn't have those, uh, people would be killing each other. It would be so many accidents and bodies all over the streets. It would be ridiculous. So that's a good thing about the government, drinking and driving. Drivers, licensed police. There, there's some other good things about the government. The government is not all bad, and that, and that is in line with the tour. Uh, those things that I mentioned, and there's and there's others. What's an example of bad things about the government? The gay agenda, of course. Uh, government not obeying the righteous laws of its constitution, and so that leads me up to the bearing arms issue. And I have a um, Constitution of the United States. I suggest everybody, especially now, the way this nation is going right now, we definitely need to uh, <laughs> study our Constitution, folks, because um, people are just, um, it's just, let's put it this way. There's an agenda going on right now, and they're trying to to uh, take away our rights. And we need to, to, to study the Constitution and understand what's in it. So anyway, um, we have the right, and right now the issue with all this, these, these shootings and so forth is the, the right to uh, bear arms. And Amendment 2 states this, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And this is, of course, when a government is unrighteous, then we, then we have the ability to, to oppose that government and the power to oppose that government. And of course, being righteous helps as well because you can have all the guns in the world, but if you're a wicked person, it's not going to do you any good. So, so you can see, based on the amendment to the Constitution of the United States, Amendment Two, it states a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. This is if the if the government rebels, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So it's very important to understand, and this is biblical. If we look at Exodus chapter 22, verse two. Exodus chapter 22, verse 2. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there should no blood be shed for him. All right, so it's telling you there that uh, 
if a thief, and this is in the Jewish Publication Society version, if a thief be found breaking in and be smitten so that he dies, there should be no blood guiltiness for him. So that's an example of the fact that it's okay to bear arms. It's, it's biblically based, as you can see, this amendment. Also, Yeshua stated here, or Jesus stated in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 36, states here, But now he that have a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script. And he that have no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And that, that can be equivalent to a gun today. <laughs> okay, So um, there's nothing wrong with bearing arms, folks. It's totally biblical and common sense, and it's, of course, that amendment that amendment is definitely based on the Bible. I just wanted to show that to you. So you know, you need to study the Constitution because as wicked as this government getting, we need to, to understand the righteous laws that our forefathers of this country wrote. We need to understand it. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 28, um, in the King James Version here, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this, in this, in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon it. So, so this is an example of the um, the apostles, the disciples, uh, being brought to the uh, Jewish government or Sanhedrin at that time. And then verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So I'm just quoting that scripture. You always need to remember this scripture in reference to any government that you're under. If that government is violating the laws of God, you are not commanded to obey those government's laws. Plain and simple as that. Okay? You have the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, um, they allow the government to take them and, and put them in prison and so forth and, and get tossed in, in the furnace, but they said, hey, we're, we are not going to bow down to, your, to the statue. We're not going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue and, and worship your gods. And so, and they had enough faith to say, hey, God can save us, but if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to your God. So that's how you resist government. That's an, that's an example of it. Um, another example of it is Acts chapter 22. I quoted this scripture before. I'm going to do it again. Because this justifies what I told you earlier, that you need to, we all need to study the Constitution, especially when the government is not obeying their own Constitution. Acts chapter, like, like this country, you're starting not to obey certain parts of the Constitution. Acts chapter 22, verse 25, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? So obviously, he, Paul, Shaul here in Acts chapter 22, understood the Roman laws or governments, or the, the Roman government rules and regulations, their Constitution, and he knew that in the Constitution of Rome at that time, or law book or whatever, that it was against Roman law to uh, scourge a man that was uncondemned. Okay, in other words, he wasn't taken to court. All right, and what is what is our law in this country about that? Well, someone is innocent until proven guilty. So that's the same thing. And then Acts chapter 22, verse 26, So when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. And so, uh, verse 27, Then the chief captain came and said unto them, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yes. Verse 28, And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained 
I this freedom. And Paul said, but I was born free. In other words, he was born a Roman, for what he's saying here, that he was uh, freeborn. But he said, I was born into it. Yeah, that's another, that's an excellent translation by that complete Jewish Bible version. And in verse 30, on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from the bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. See, so this is an example by knowing your government's rules and regulations that <laughs> you can benefit in a positive way. Because I tell you right now, a lot of people don't know the Constitution of the United States. They just listen to the president and, and pay attention to his executive orders and so forth, which many feel is against the Constitution today. All right, so it's very important to understand that. So I hope I've explained myself clearly about how we obey government today. You don't obey, to summarize, we don't obey government if the government's telling you to do something that is against righteousness, against the Torah, plain and simple as that. And we all have to use a little wisdom on how we resist. Um, like I told you about the situation last week uh, with when the SWAT team came. I knew they were wrong. I knew I wasn't guilty. If I would have resisted them, I would have had my brains my brains blown out by several AK-47s, okay? So so you have to use a little wisdom uh, in your resistance. There's ways to do it in a shrewd way. You can sue the government. Many people have sued the government. And you can use the Constitution of the United States as your proof, as, as your document. They, they're supposed to read the Constitution every year in Congress, and, and they're not really motivated to even read the Constitution anymore. So that tells you unfortunately, how we're getting away from the government. But you, you need to be shrewd. You need to be smart and listen to what I've just told you today and, and get the Constitution of the United States while you still can and study it so that you can use it as your defense. Okay, so let's move on in the last 14 minutes uh, <laughs> that I have here. I was going to quote a lot of scriptures here about signs that we are living in the end times. It doesn't look like I'm going to get to... Um, most of the scriptures, but I'm going to probably continue this next week because uh, it looks like I'm not going to get to uh, all the scriptures I wanted to get to. Or I tell you what, what I can do, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and and, and talk about these things, but uh, I'm only going to be in the air for about 13 more minutes, and then it'll automatically go into um, extra time mode, and then you guys can download uh, what I say. So, I, you know, I'll go ahead and, and, and finish the rest of this, but realize that I'm going to be cut off here in about uh, 13 minutes and 18 seconds, okay? So, but I'll go ahead and just do this. The program will be probably uh, an hour and 15 minutes or maybe an hour and 30 minutes, about a 90-minute program. So, all right, so let's begin in Romans, not Romans, but Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Revelation chapter 13, Verse 8, Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, and the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is true. The Messiah, as the Lamb, was sacrificed from the foundation of the world, meaning the decision for him to sacrifice his life was made. And a little more detail about how the decision was made, let's turn to John chapter 10. 
John chapter 10, starting at verse 15. It says, As the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Um, let me make sure I have the right scripture here. Yeah, yeah. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Verse 17, Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Verse 18, and this is a significant scripture. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. So this was his free will to, to, to sacrifice his life, ladies and gentlemen from the foundation of the world. So I just wanted to point that out. And then second, why did why did he do that? Why did the Messiah have to die? And I have a program that actually, the title of it, and I've gotten a lot of um, downloads off this program. Uh, it's one of my most popular programs. Uh, why did Jesus have to die? I really implore you to listen to that. So, but anyway... Um, Back to Second Timothy chapter one verse ten. This one is starting to be one of my favorite scriptures now. It says, "But is now made manifest in the King James version by the appearing of, the, of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and bought life and immortality light through the gospel." What happened when? Well, we're going to go over what happened when um, Adam sinned. He brought death because that's what sin brings, death, and so. That's the reason why it was decided that the Messiah, as the Lamb of God, be slain from the foundation of the world so he can abolish death. That's the ultimate goal of, of the plan of God now, is to abolish death and have brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Okay, so that's what the good news is all about in the simplest way to explain that. Also, the Messiah was manifested to destroy the devil. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Again, let me underscore this. Verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Okay? And delivered them who, through fear of death, were all lifetime subject to bondage. All right, and then First John chapter three. First John chapter three. First John chapter three, starting in verse one. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew Him not. Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we shall know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. So that's this is how we purify ourselves from all types of wickedness, is if we think of the hope of being able to see the Father and the Son and understand that we will be like him. We, we're going to be glorified like him. We're going to have glorified bodies like him. That's what ultimately will purify your mind from wickedness or any pervertedness that you're doing right now or have done in the past. 
Verse 4, whosoever commits sin transgresses also the Torah or the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifested, the Messiah, he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So that's another reason why he was manifested, to take away our sins, because sin causes death. Verse 6, whosoever abides in him sins not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. Of course, as somebody who habitually or, you know, just as a bad habit, sins continuously. Verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Verse 8. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the, the devil sins from the beginning. For this cause, or for this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So he's going to destroy the devil. And he's going to destroy the works of the devil. It would not be any works of the devil. What's the works of the devil? You know what the works of the devil are. Wickedness, sin, and, 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 and wrong behavior. All that is going to be destroyed. Verse 9. Whoever, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This is talking about when you're born of God, receiving your spiritual body. That's what this is talking about. Verse 10. And... This, the children of God are manifested in the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And where was, why, why did he slew him, or why did he slay him, rather? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. And says, marvel not, my brethren, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer have eternal life abiding in him. And verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God. And this is interesting. You have John 3, verse 16 and 1 John 3, verse 16. And it's talking about the same thing, and it's a little slight difference, but it's still talking about the same thing. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, we are our brother's keeper. Verse 17, but whosoever have this world's goods, and see his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And then ultimately, this is something we all need to follow. Verse 18 of John 3, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's the way we need to ultimately love, ladies and gentlemen. Not having lip service. We need to have action service. <laughs> now, let's turn to John 3, verse 16, one of the most famous verses ever quoted out of the Bible. And I guarantee you, most people don't read the rest of uh, after John 3, verse 16. But we're going to do that. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the entire world, planet, okay, and everything in it, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Perish means the second death. No life whatsoever, but have everlasting life. So the dichotomy here in this sentence, perishing, and then the opposite, everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So the world is in a state of decay. And the Messiah, one of, one of his other reasons for coming is to save the entire world from being destroyed. Verse 18, as he states in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 to 22. 
he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light, which is represented by the Messiah, proved by uh, the first chapter of John, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So this has something to do with deeds, folks, doing something. Verse 20, for everyone that does evil hates the light or hates the Messiah. Neither comes to the Messiah or the light that his deeds should be reproved. Verse 21, but he that does truth, you have to do something. You have to do truth. You have to keep the Torah, folks, comes to the Messiah. That's how you come to the Messiah. That's how you believe in the Messiah, by doing good deeds, the good deeds that the Torah and the instructions of God command you to do. To do, that his deeds may be made manifest or revealed, that they are wrought in God. Okay, so believing has everything to do with doing something, folks. Now, in John three verse thirty six, is pretty clear. By Johannan the Immerser or John the Baptist, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And you understand how you believe in the Son by doing what the Son commands, by what the Torah commands you to do. He that believes on the Son have everlasting life, and he that believes not the Son shall not see life. You won't live again, the second death. So if you don't believe and don't prove to the Son or the Father that you believe by your works, you're not going to see life, plain and simple as that. But the wrath of God abides on him. So that's pretty plain there, folks, pretty plain. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 21. For since by man came death, so that's how death entered the universe, folks, by a man. By man also the resurrection of the dead. Again, here's the dichotomy again. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. That's the reason why the Messiah came, ultimately, to make human beings alive permanently so they don't have to ever die, have the opportunity to live forever. Verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. The firstfruits, the bride of Christ, are first, and then everyone else uh, that are Christ at his coming. Verse 24, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put all rule and all authority and power. Verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death, the second death, destroyed. Verse 27, for he has the second death, which has no power, meaning that you're not going to ever live again. He's going to destroy that type of death, eternal death. Verse 27, for he hath put all things under his feet, but when he said all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did all put things under him. Actually, he's putting away all types of death, first death and second death, any death. There's <laughs> not going to be any more death, okay? Verse 28, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That's the summary of the entire plan. Of Yah, you should study First Corinthians chapter fifteen. It summarizes everything, and it, it explains you the reason why the Messiah uh, had to had to come and and had to sacrifice his life to eliminate death, to bring immortality into into reality for all of us. That's why 
course, it includes the, the story of the bride and the bridegroom. And it includes a lot of other things. But that's the ultimate reason why the Messiah had to die, to give us an opportunity to live forever, to have eternal life. That's the simplest way that, that it can be explained, folks. All right, I'm getting ready to uh, go off the air, and please listen to the rest of this program in its entirety. Okay, I'm on recording now, and I'm going to complete this Bible study. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. So what are the signs that we are living in the end times, folks? Because uh, there, there are some serious signs that indicate that we are living in the end times. Let's look at Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'm reading this a complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. It says, Moreover, understand this, in the end times will come trying times. People will be self-loving, money-loving, proud, arrogant, insulting, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, uncontrolled, brutal. Let me read this in another version here. This is, uh, in the New American Standard Bible version, Second Timothy 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, ir- irreconcilable. In other words, you can't resolve conflict. Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied his power. Avoid such men as these. Okay? So that is what's going on right now as I'm speaking. This this is a perfect uh, vision of America and other other societies around the world. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 in the New American Standard Bible Version, it says this, is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Verse 2, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Verse 3, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Verse 7, but by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men, the total destruction of ungodly men, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish, folks. He doesn't want anyone to experience a second death, which has no power. But for all to come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. Verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. 
verse 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, which is begins in Revelation chapter 21. And, and, and further, a description of that new heavens and new earth is in Revelation chapter 22, in which righteousness, not wickedness, righteousness dwells. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. All right? So let's turn to, what, what is the fee for the night? What is the fee for the night? Well, the Bible reveals this to us, what Shaul, or Peter here, Peter, not Shaul, Peter is talking about. We turn to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, starting in verse 12. It says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the, the, the Euphrates. The, the Euphrates is located around the area of Iraq. And his water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east, east of that, that region. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty or the day of the Lord. Now, verse 15, you should sure state something here to let you know this is the thief of the night situation. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. So this is the thief in the night, prophetically. Verse 16, and they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Okay, so that is the thief in the night when all the world's armies will be gathered together to fight Yeshua, the angels, and the saints. All right, and... Another sign that we are living in the end times, I already went over our social condition, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, and then people are going to be doubting that the Messiah is going to come. And then the gay agenda, that certainly is a sign. If you look at Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, it says, Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, in Luke 17, verse 20, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, verse 21, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Verse 22, And he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will, no long, you, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And verse 23, They will say to you, Look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. Verse 24, for just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Verse 26, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. Verse 29, but on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And verse 30, it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So it says in verse 31, on that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. So that's interesting that he associates his second coming with the days of Lot. 
Um, worldwide poverty is another uh, sign of the end time. And Proverbs 30, verse 40, 14, rather. Proverbs 30, verse 14. Proverbs 30, verse 14 states the following. Um, read this in the King James Version. It says, There is a generation whose teeth are like swords, and their jaw teeth as knives that devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. There's other poverty around the world, folks, and, and it's only getting worse. And in Revelation 6, verse 5 to 6, uh, many people in this country, there's 25 million people, actually it's more than that, that are unemployed in this country, and there's quite a few people on food stamps. I think it's up to 50 million people right now. So if people are struggling in America, you know people are struggling around the world. Uh, in Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 5, states this. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So this is talking about economic instability around the world, folks. That's another sign that we're in the end times. The nuclear bomb age, I've talked about this many times in this program. It began August 6, 1945, with the detonation of Little Boy over Nagasaki, uh, Hiroshima, rather. And then also Nagasaki, they also um, detonated a bomb as well. And so in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 to 22, let's go there. It states the following. It states, but then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. So we didn't reach that point until August 6, 1945, with the detonation of, the, of those uh, atomic bombs over Japan. And then Psalm 90, verse 10, tells you that a man's years is 70 or 80 if he's strong. So if you add 70 years to 1945, you get 2015. If you add 80 years to that, you get 2025. Some people like to start uh, when the nation of Israel was formed, 1948. You have a little more years, uh, 2018 to um, 2028. And then some people are saying 1967 when they took over the Temple Mount. So if you want to do it, do it that way, then we have uh, quite a few years. You're going to start to 1967. You have 2047. In any case, I don't see us getting past this century uh, because uh, of the tremendous uh, things that are happening in the world as I'm speaking right now. All right, uh, the 200 million man army, uh, Revelation 9, Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. The sixth angel sounded his chauffeur, a trumpet, or shofar, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the gold altar before God Verse 14, saying to the sixth angel, the one with the chauffeur, release the four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates, which is located in the Middle East, around Iraq, and they were released. These four angels have been kept ready for this moment, for this day and month and year, to kill a third of mankind. That's 33% of mankind. Verse 16, and the number of Calvary's soldiers was 200 million. Now, this is definitely proof that we're in the end time, because in the first century, the population of the earth was 200 million. So this has to be talking about now because um, it's definitely possible to have an army of 200 million just 
in China alone, uh, an army can be compiled of 200 million men. So this is definitely talking about the 21st century, talking about the time that we're living in today. Other scriptures to understand that we're living in the end times, uh, Matthew chapter 24, study that. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, Revelation chapter 13, really study those chapters because it really tells you what the beast is and, and what the beast is going to do. Matthew chapter 13, verses 37 to 43, tells you what's going to happen when, when the Messiah comes back. He's going to get rid of all wickedness and throw the wickedness in the lake of fire. And Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah chapter 66, well, I'll read that in closing today. Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, starting in verse 15. It states, For look, Adonai will come in fire, and his chariots will be like the whirlwind to render his anger furiously, his rebuke with blazing fire. Verse 16, For Adonai will judge all humanity with fire and with the sword. And those slain by Adonai will be many. So this is talking about the, at the time of his second coming. It's not going to be pretty, folks. Well, that's it. I hope that this Bible study gave you a clear understanding of what righteous government is versus wicked government. Also, I, I hope that it gave you a better understanding that we are definitely living in the end times. If you have any other questions or concerns, feel free to email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com. May the great Elohim bless and keep you, and Yah willing, I'll be available to speak to you next week. Shalom. Peace. I invite you to subscribe to our free newsletter. To subscribe, go to www.mercifulserviceofgod.com and wait for the drop-down box. Or, if you're on Facebook, the Facebook box. Enter your name and email address. When you confirm your subscription, Elohim willing, you will receive emails about the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of Elohim. Additionally, you will receive emails about various Bible topics. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.